0: okay well i didn't know if you wanted to talk about something first or if you want to just launch into this but i think we should just
1: yeah i think i don't know i feel like we should just launch into this <laughs> okay.
0: so yes as you can tell probably from my the video i have like what i thought i don't remember how long ago this was it could have been two episodes ago where mm-hmm. i was asking for advice on acne and i was like oh no yeah. i'm sorry to break out turns out it is not acne and it is at least with my self diagnosing I'm like 90% sure at this point it's called perioral dermatitis oh, okay and because I've always I think you know this I've like have always had like weird skin sensitivity things like my dad has yeah. like psoriasis eczema and I definitely like inherited it from him and it yep. basically rears its ugly head when I'm like more stressed about stuff than usual and it's like so annoying like it's like it can be like the inside of your arm your leg or basically right in the middle of your face (laughs) so I was like at first I just thought it was pimples because it was just like red and had like some white stuff and then after a week of that I was like oh wait it's starting to look like like everything else I've had (laughs) so yeah so I was like I've been using, like, salicylic acid. It's been Mm -hmm. almost four days at this point. And I have, like, this eczema cream stuff. And I, like, finally caved and called a dermatologist or tried making an appointment with a dermatologist on Monday. And they're like, okay, the earliest we can get you in is, like, October 15th. Um, yeah, I honestly was expecting worse because I'm just remembering like other times I've had to deal with d- dermatologists and like any specialist in general. It's like at least a month in advance, if not more. So, so I'm like hoping the stuff I have here can help a little bit, but it's just like so annoying. It's like not just like a pimple thing or, you know, what to buy and there's so many products. It's like you have to be so much more careful yeah. With what you put on, but... I mean,
1: I don't know how you feel about coming all the way out here, but I could give you my dermatologist. He's pretty quick for, like, appointments and stuff. Like, if you want to try to get in before, like, mid-October.
0: Really? You think he'd have availability? I mean, honestly, I haven't... I only called one office, the normal, the, like, internal what's it called it physician whatever Mm -hmm. that Dave and I go to it's a part of a bigger type of branch so it's like all this one building so I called their dermatology office but my mom suggested like trying to call other people around just to see if maybe someone has a closer date so I was going to try that maybe yeah I mean
1: I mean, I think my dermatologist has – he obviously has more than one office. One's near, oh, okay. like, right near where I live, and then I think there's a few other that are, like, a little bit further out, but I can definitely just give you his
0: information if you want to look. Yeah, I guess I could try that, because it also depends on if they're even taking new patients and mm-hmm. he whatever. He is. So. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, because when I booked the appointment, they were like, are you a new patient? I was like, no, no, I've been going to him for, like, four years. I'm not new. Hmm. So – but he's good he's quick but he's
0: very good okay i mean i'm hoping this clears up but yeah Mm -hmm. i should probably have something scheduled anyway so that's been pretty annoying (laughs) (laughs) yeah um
1: before i get into mine do you want to introduce it because it might go on a tangent (laughs) Oh, sure.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, we just did my oil of the Week. Um, <laughs> I don't know, Sandra and I just, like, greeted each other, and then we both were like, yep, we could just talk about the oil of the Week. <laughs> so, I just launched into mine.
1: <laughs> I do have alcohol in my fridge, and I'm just very tempted to, to bring it out. That is how my week is going, and it's only Tuesday.
0: I mean, I am drinking a tequila grapefruit? No. Mango flavor. It's like one of those canned cocktail things.
1: Yeah, that's what I have. I like the strawberry margarita canned cocktail. Oh, okay. In my fridge. It's pretty good. In a pinch, it's good.
0: Yeah. Usually Tuesdays, I don't drink, but I was like, meh <laughs> Yeah. But so anyway. <laughs> You're listening to another episode of Away with the Terror already. I'm one of your hosts, Danielle. And I'm Sandra.
1: <laughs> <sighs> okay, I guess I'll go one of mine. <laughs> so this happened to me on Friday. I was heading home and I decided to stop by the bank to transfer some money around before like rent and all that and to take out some cash. So I go in and no one's there and basically like i use the machine once and it's fine and then i'm like oh crap i need to use it again to do another transaction and i put my card in and the machine did not give me back my card so it just took it
0: oh so
1: then i had to call my bank and just be like hey your atm took my card can i have a new one And I actually got the card, luckily I got it today, so it didn't take too long for me to get it, and I'm glad I got it. Also, it's definitely, like, a fancier card than the one I had, but, like, just the fact that I'm just trying to get money out of the ATM, and it just, like, took the card, it was just a moment of, Hmm. like, are you kidding me? I've never heard of this happening before, but apparently it can. So, listen to everybody out there, your ATMs can take your card. (laughs) That's why when I texted you on like Friday night, I was like, Do right. I have an OA of the week for you? Because that was Friday night. And I came home and I was like so upset. Cause obviously it's like, what what do you do? I'm without an ATM card for like a few days. Right. And I ordered Domino's pizza with my credit card.
0: You're right. Oh, that's good that you have two.
1: Yeah. I have like a credit card. Yeah. Um and then I obviously just have my debit, but still. But and I mean, luckily, like Bank of America does have, like, a digital card that you can use. So, like, I was able to use it for, like, over the yep. weekend. But you can't use it for, like, things like Grubhub or Amazon because they don't give you the, um, like, the card information. So you don't know, like, the expiration date or the security code. You hmm. just know, like, the last four digits of, like, the account number on the card. So, so yeah, that's my OI of the week.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually I feel like the companies are pretty good with sending out, like, replacement cards quickly but yeah that's so strange
1: i think <laughs> the poor machine. guy because like not only did that because i had to do it on the app because i was there and obviously like the bank was closed like this was an actual like bank branch but they closed at like four forty-five, and it was yeah. like five o'clock because that's the other thing where i'm like 15 minutes earlier oh. probably could have just gotten the card out of the machine for me so basically yeah i got in touch with them on the app, and then just to make sure, I called them, and the poor guy was like, "You know, you can just do like a digital card, right?" I was hmm. like, "Oh, no, I didn't." And they're like, "Yeah, this is how you do it." Because I was going to go to the bank on Saturday to get like a replacement, actual physical card, like a temporary card, which you can also do. Oh. They're like, "No, you don't need to do that. You just need to get like the digital one." I was like, "Okay, great." Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing.
0: That's yeah, I don't know, know if that's a
1: thing. I don't know if it's a thing for all banks, but yeah. it's definitely for Bank of America. Oh. Hmm. So, yeah, that was my Friday night. <laughs> Crying, basically, because I lost my debit card.
0: <laughs> I think when you texted me that, like, oh, I have my hour of the week. That was when I was getting annoyed about <laughs> wedding stuff in Connecticut
1: yeah and then like you were texting me that you were in connecticut and i was like i'm gonna leave her alone now
0: <laughs> Talk to yeah, her on Tuesday. a few things i mean luckily the hair trial went well and i had to try on the dress again and that was like they just have to like change one thing or alter something but it's like definitely mainly done so that's yeah going well it was also mine and dave's uh I guess official first wedding anniversary oh, yeah. over the weekend. <laughs> so we like went to this like super fancy restaurant in Sandy Hook, which nice. I never knew existed. And we had like a three course dinner um, prefix with wine pairings. So that was nice. That's fancy. I know. I was like, wow, I never knew this existed 20 minutes away pretty much from my parents' house. Must be new. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it looks interesting. It looks like it like used to be an inn or someone's house. It has that like old kind of Victorian or old I don't know, colonial type look to it.
1: As yeah, that sounds like Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> At least like they're fancy, fancy restaurants. They have that charm, that mm-hmm. like Victorian Connecticut charm. North New England. New England charm, I guess. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, it was like a combo of being like stressful, but also had some nice parts. So, is it
1: was it your last weekend though? Going to Connecticut until the wedding?
0: No, apparently I have to go one more time to try the <laughs> dress on again. I, <laughs> uh, I don't even know how many times I've tried it on at this point. Almost yeah. 10, Seven, seven, wow. eight. I don't know.
1: But it's almost done. You got one more fitting and then you're done. Until the actual day.
0: Oh, also, this is gonna also going to be my okay, now it just sounds like I'm complaining a lot, but I still don't have wedding shoes. <laughs> I was going to, I don't know why, I just couldn't make up my mind with what type of shoes I wanted, what kind, because the ceremony's outside, so I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I need like a type of chunky heel or a wedge or something like that. So then Leslie told me about this company. I'm not saying their name because I'm mad at them. But she heard about them on Shark Tank and they created this shoe technology where it's like a heel, but then you can snap off the bottom of it and change mm-hmm. up for a flat shoe. Yeah. So it's was like, oh my God, like something like that sounds perfect for a wedding. You could wear the heel part for the ceremony photos and then just like turn it into a flat shoe for like dancing and late night stuff. So then I finally, I keep, I like go back and forth on the website and they're not that, I mean, they could be more expensive for like a wedding shoe, but for heel shoe, they like do sound expensive. So I kept going back and forth like when I wanted to buy it. Mm -hmm. So I did this for a few months and then maybe two months ago at this point, I went on and I'm like, oh, they're all sold out, (laughs) like every single pair in style, basically. So then I put myself on this like wait list type thing. They'll email me when it comes back. So then a month ago, basically right about uh, three weeks ago at this point, I got an email like, oh, the shoe's back in stock. Like, hurry and order it, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, okay, I'll order it. So I ordered it. Like, it looked fine. It said it was in stock. So then this was three weeks ago. On Sunday, Mm -hmm. I messaged them, and I'm just like, haven't heard anything with the order what's going on blah 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 like i oh, don't know then someone messages me at n- midnight midnight this morning and says yeah so they must like be based out of some other country i don't know why they yeah i don't know but um so she's like oh i'm so sorry the shoe was out of stock we can you can order these other kinds i can give you credit or refund and i was just like seriously <laughs> I heard this three weeks ago, got the confirmation email, but heard nothing, and I responded, I was just like, why would it give me an option to order this if it was out of stock? Like, why did no one tell me anything until I emailed you? Like, please just give me a refund. <laughs> so, I'm probably just going to order some shoes from DS- DSW or something. Yeah. Like, it's ridiculous, so...
1: Uh, it's... It's a shame. wait what size what size shoe are you seven and
0: a you? half usually so average. at least you're
1: like the average you're not like me who's like has to go on like special websites to get right
0: shoes. well so it's crazy they this company in particular it looks like they're basically sold out in every single size like i was for fun clicking on the different options and it looks like they don't have anything left how is that possible so it's not just like okay they only have a few sizes out Basically, since, like, two months ago, it looks like they've been basically totally sold out in most things. Like, this seems not normal. <laughs> no. Maybe they just, like, exploded at some point in the summer, and now they don't know what to do. Or, But it's just, like, someone should have let me know in three weeks after ordering. I wasn't getting it. They also already charged me immediately. Basically, right when I bought it, I was charged for it. So they charged me three weeks ago and never told me. Like, that doesn't seem like good business.
1: No, that seems really sketchy.
0: Yeah. Did you tell
1: Leslie this?
0: No, maybe next time I see her I will. But I don't know. My goal is to now just find ones I like. And I did actually find one on DSW that looks pretty similar. It just doesn't turn into a flat shoe. But whatever, I'll just bring other flats to wear later my dress is long enough so you can't really see them so it doesn't matter
1: i mean that's probably what i'm gonna do yeah
0: that's what leslie did actually
1: (laughs) just like have like a spare pair of like flat shoes with me because my shoes are wedges so they're my feet are gonna be hurting by the end of the night
0: (laughs) i think actually leslie just wore toms the whole time for the ceremony and that's Yeah, for having to stand a long time for photos, that's definitely nice. My feet got sore from photos.
1: Yeah, I was watching, what was it, Four Weddings on TLC, like, a while back, and there was this bride who had, like, a basket of, like, flip-flops for the woman Mm. who were, like, at the wedding so Mm, that they could just, like, Change out their shoes and just take like a pair of flip flops. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that is genius.
0: Yeah, I've seen that on Pinterest, I think. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. That
0: is, Mm -hmm. yep, that is
1: genius. Well,
0: you're almost there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, like, I think it's what, about four and a half weeks or something at this point. But I think so. So, at the tasting, I was kind of like, oh my God, it's so soon. And then the, we met with our wedding, she's kind of like a wedding coordinator, I don't know, the wedding person for the castle, the venue, and she's like, oh, you have so much time, and I'm like, really?
1: Well, so, I finally found a tailor for the bridesmaids dress, because I've been putting that off for a while. And I called her on Sunday and I was like, hi, like, do I have to make an appointment or can I just, like, walk in? Because it's, like, a five-minute walk from my apartment. And she was like, I'm busy today, but, like, you can come on Wednesday. And I was like, okay, cool. And she's like, wait, when is the wedding? And I was like, October, like, first week of October. And she's like, you got plenty of time, just coming on Wednesday. Okay. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. So, yeah. I'm like, I don't think you need to do much. I think you just need to, like, shorten it and fix, like, here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's should be good. Yeah. I just hope I fit in it. (laughs) It's been a while since I've tried it on.
0: Yeah, I feel like it it does seem like, like, especially with getting alterations, like, it doesn't take too long. Like, if I wasn't in, I mean, it would be a little less of a pain if I was in the same state that the alterations are getting done. I don't know, maybe Mm -hmm. I should have just had it here, but whatever. Um, But yeah, whenever I go there, they're always like, okay, we can have it done by next week. Like, And I'm like, okay. So, yeah, it does seem like that it doesn't take that long. Yeah, luckily. (laughs) So I think I'm going first this week.
1: Yes, I checked. It's your turn.
0: (laughs) I was going to send you a hint, but then I thought I might give it away. So I didn't.
1: (laughs) Well, that's like when you asked for the hint and I was just like, I don't know how to hint this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because I don't. Oh, Without wait. giving everything away.
0: Dave, did I tell you Sandra's hint? No. She says it's a tsunami. It involves a tsunami. <laughs> yeah, Dave really wanted to know. He was upset that I didn't tell him. Oh,
1: I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm sorry, Dave, the intern. <laughs> I was really distracted today after
0: work. <laughs> huh, he's walking over. It involves a tsunami. Can a time period? Two thousand and eleven. Two thousand eleven. I don't
1: remember what happened then. <laughs> I think it's yeah. I have to double check that when I when I say it, but I'm pretty sure it happened in twenty eleven.
0: Mm. So he's racking his brain. He's not gonna get it. I don't think. <laughs> Like not to like pat me on the back, but like I don't think he's gonna get it. Okay, so this my topic is also a place you and I have been to together. (laughs) 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 It's in Boston, like, and Dave was there too.
1: Near like the Faneuil
0: Hall area? No, it's a museum. Oh, is it Isabella Gardner? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I
1: was like, where have we been in Boston?
0: Yeah, a few different places. But yeah, I think we've only been to the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum once. Mm -hmm. That's a cool museum. I I want to go back. Yeah, and it has quite an interesting history. Um, So it's basically like an immersive type museum where it looks like you're walking through a palace um, with a Moorish garden, and then there are rooms around the garden filled with different kinds of art. There is still, there is an active and ongoing investigation to recover the missing works from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum art theft. It's considered a classic and maybe even a perfect crime, the museum is currently offering 10 million, a $10 million reward for any information and another reward of $100,000 for the return of a Na- Napoleonic Eagle finale. Final? So basically they did a Netflix series about this uh, one or two years ago. I think it's called The Perfect Crime. Yeah, I didn't realize how recent it was. For some reason, I thought it happened a long time ago, but it actually happened on March 18th, 1990. So not too long ago. And there's actually still an active investigation going on. And then art theft in general is sort of an interesting and unique type of crime because it involves so much money. Um, And then it also involves some skill on the thieves' part. In order to bypass multiple types of security, 13 masterworks of art were stripped from Boston's Isabella Stewart Gardner Mu- Museum. This kicked off an ongoing investigation with many twists and turns, with many interesting characters. Oh, the Netflix docu series is called This Is a Robbery, the World's Biggest Art Heist. So the theft took place on St. Patrick's Day weekend. So for some backstory on Isabella Stewart, she was born on April 14, 1840 to a wealthy family from New York City. Her father made his money from trading textiles and iron. As a child, Isabella had a reputation for being spirited and rebellious. Once she tried sneaking away to watch the circus, and when found was dragged home sobbing by a servant. She went to schools in New York and Paris and would travel to Italy with her parents. Uh, This was a pivotal moment where she became immersed in the world of art. She received the best education her family could afford. A few years later, Isabella's school friend, Julia Gardner, invited her to Julia's brother, John Lowell Jack Gardner, a banker and a member of Boston's upper class. Apparently, he was rich enough to pay for someone to fight in his place in the Civil War. The two married in 1860. Their son, John Lowell Gardner III, was born on June 18th, 1863, but died two days later. Isabella was never the same after this. She fell into a depression and grew ill. At the recommendation of her physician, Isabella and John traveled to Europe. At some points during this trip, she was so weak, she actually had to be carried on and off the ship's. It was also around this time during the Civil War that Isabella started burning letters and documents about herself in a way to control how she would be remembered. Uh, She toured Norway, Russia, Austria, and France with her husband and started collecting art as a way to reinvent herself or renew herself while in, in a difficult situation. She also started collecting artists and writers such as John Singer Sargent... James McNeil Whistler, and Henry James. Histographers agree that these relationships were all intellectual based. Isabella connected with them to gain access to the wider world where she hoped to gain more power and connections. So it sounds like Isabella was known to be a scandalous figure in society. And apparently she was scandalous by smoking cigarettes and was known to walk around the zoo with lions. She at one point shocked Boston Society at the Boston Symphony Orchestra wearing a headband that said, Oh, you Red Sox. She invited the Harvard football team to her home after they beat Yale. She hosted a boxing match at her home and danced around the men as they fought. Uh, When her museum opened, she served champagne with donuts. She was known for being forceful, intelligent, and fun. Gardner once remarked in response to gossip about her, quote, don't spoil a good story by telling the truth, quote. She made the art she collected and her museum uh, so she could be seen in another light. Isabella was a modern woman who carefully curated her life and her presence through gossip and her museum. She was both flamboyant and private. So now back to the robbery. After her husband died in 1898, she bought a plot of undeveloped land in Boston's Back Bay area, which was surrounded by by a swamp. She built a palace which incorporated both Renaissance and European Gothic design elements. The bottom three floors were filled with paintings, sculptures, tapestries, furniture, manuscripts, rare books, and decorative arts. The fourth floor was her private residence. Before she passed away in 1924, Isabella spent the last 25 years of her life dedicating her time to the museum. She left an interesting declaration in her will about never changing the museum. So in 1990, two thieves stole $500 million in art from the museum. The art was never recovered and this remains one of America's most enduring unsolved mysteries. The heist of the Gardner Museum is considered the largest art heist in America. According to the Gardner heist by Ulrich Bosser, the theft is felt deeply and personally, not only in the city of Boston, but by art lovers everywhere. So I guess Isabella said that if anything was permanently changed, in the museum that the collection should be created shipped to paris for auction and that the money should go to harvard university and anne holly who served as the museum's director from 1989 to 2015 explained this in the netflix docuseries so until the robbery in 1990 not a single one of the 2500 works within the Gardner's museum walls had ever left the grounds or have even been moved The art heist took place on March 18, 1990 at 1.24 a.m. Two men got inside the museum and in 81 minutes left with 13 works of art valued at $500 million. Days after the heist, the museum offered a $1 million reward for information leading to the return of the works. The first question people asked was how the thieves, how they picked the Pieces to steal that they did steal so in 81 minutes the thieves took their time spreading out across three galleries on two different floors and they didn't just grab the closest pieces located to the door the thieves smashed glass panels tore down frames and sliced the painting sloppily from their canvases so this made it seem like they knew which pieces to go for but did not know how much damage this would make the worth of their haul and they actually ignored more expensive works for ones of lesser value. It is thought because of this that they worked under the direction of a private collector who gave them a list of pieces he wanted. But others thought this theory was a little outlandish and sounded like it could be the plot to a James Bond film. Um, The theft occurred on St. Patrick's Day weekend in Boston which I've never really seen for myself, but I've heard it gets pretty crazy.
1: Yes, it does, especially in Southie. Oh, yes.
0: Yeah. Um, So I guess one of the reasons why they could have planned this was because the museum isn't like right on the main street or whatever. It's kind of located further away from the crowd. So maybe the noise from everything would like cause a distraction to these people breaking into the museum and the two men actually dressed up as police officers they rang a bell at the side door of the museum and the museum was located far away from the loud crowds so after the police were buzzed in by security they lured two on-duty guards away from their stations and handcuffed them both Then one of the counterfeit cops announced, Gentlemen, this is a robbery. The museum's night watchmen were caught or escorted to the basement. The crooks bound them in place with duct tape. The guards were left under the museum for hours after awaiting their rescue. When the morning shift showed up, they found the security office door smashed up with golden frames on the floors and the two guards scared but uninjured in the basement. The FBI thought that one of the museum security guards could have been an inside man. Some clues pointed to the thieves being able to know too much about the museum security. In one gallery, they left a secret door ajar. They knew where the security footage was recorded and made sure to snatch those VHS tapes, as well as a printout that reported on motion detectors going off in galleries. Also, it was against protocol to let anyone in through the side door. This led the FBI to take a closer look at Richard Abbott, the guard who let the men in. 25 years later, the, suspicious, the suspicions were reignited when FBI re- released security footage which showed Abbott breaking side door protocol the night before the robbery as well. But there was no concrete evidence to prove he was involved and he was never charged. So the Netflix documentary portrayed Richard Abbott as a wannabe rock star who previously gave his notice at the museum so he could focus on his band. He described himself as being a hippie guy who wasn't hurting anyone and wasn't on anyone's radar. And then the next day after the heist, he was on everyone's radar for being associated with the largest art heist in history. Two years before the heist, the museum board was actually informed that the FBI thwarted a plot to steal from the Gardner Museum. So the fact that they did not have theft insurance might seem strange, but one reason why the museum wasn't insured was because the annual operating budget was $2.8 million dollars and the cost of theft insurance could run up to $3 million. Also, according to the Washington Post, being uninsured was a common practice among museums. Apparently, most museums do not carry insurance on their collections because the objects are irreplaceable, and museum directors would rather spend tens of thousands of dollars for premiums on salaries for extra guards. Another reason for the lack of insurance goes back to Isabella's will where she used specific language stating that the museum may not buy new or substitute works of art and would not be allowed to replace stolen paintings, which was what the point of having insurance was. In 1975, before this heist, Miles Connor Jr. stole a Rembrandt from Boston's Museum of Fine Arts, which is a short walk from the Gardner Museum so he was quickly considered a suspect, but he had a solid alibi because he was actually incarcerated at the time in federal prison. According to Miles, the guards at the prison knocked on his cell to make sure he was actually there when they heard about what happened. Even though Miles may not have been directly tied to the missing works, authorities believe he could have inspired the Gardner Museum thieves. But he has his own theory that the 13 missing pieces may have been used as collateral in the mob's cocaine deals. If a buyer didn't have enough cash for a big haul, a seller could hold the art until they were reimbursed for the same value of cocaine. This led to some known bo- mobsters being a suspect, like Robert Guarenti, Robert Gentili, and... No stranger to this podcast, James Whitey Bulger, <laughs> and <laughs> there was also a petty criminal, William P. Youngsworth, Youngworth, who claimed he could recover eleven of the pieces in 2013, but no charges were ever filed following up on that. Then, on March 18th, 2013, 23 years into the investigation. The FBI announced they had traced the stolen items from Boston to Connecticut to Philadelphia, where the trail then went cold. According to the FBI, the thieves are members of a criminal organization based in the Mid-Atlantic and New England. But the thieves were never named, and the FBI decided to appeal to the public instead for information about the crime that is considered one of their top ten art crimes. In 2015, there was an update. The thieves had been identified, but they were dead. George Reis Delfer and Lenny DiMuzio were cohorts of a known crime lord, Carmelo Merlino, and were the culprits. Both of them died within a year of the heist. George died from a drug overdose, and Lenny was murdered. The crime lord Carmelo Merlino died from natural causes in 2005. The locations of the missing works remain unknown. So I don't know if you remember seeing this, but it sounds familiar that because the museum apparently is unable to replace the stolen works, they left the empty frames up on the walls.
1: Yeah, I remember.
0: Yeah. So I guess they basically decided that um, six days after the heist, when the museum opened back up to the public and it's been this way for more than 30 years. So yeah, it it actually does look a little... It catches your eye because these rooms are filled with so much artwork and so many pieces and stuff and so ornate. And then on some walls are these pretty good-sized, just golden frames that don't have anything in them. So it's like... Yeah, it's
1: really weird.
0: Yeah. And then just like seeing where... This is for sure where it happened. It's almost like a constant reminder. Yeah. So according to the New York Times, the statute of limitation has expired on all crimes that could be tied to the heist. This means that if someone was involved, they could come forward to claim the reward. It is currently $10 million in exchange for information that leads to the safe return of the stolen works of art. And a separate reward of $100,000 is available for the return of the Napoleonic Eagle finale. Anyone with information can contact the Director of Security via email, reward at GardnerMuseum.org. I don't
1: know. I just think it's crazy. Like, I just like, just the fact that they got away with it and it's been like 30, 31 years. And they're still like trying to find them.
0: Yeah, so yeah, I mean, it sounds like they, I know, the people who are involved, which there are definitely more people involved that they don't know about, like, that's so strange that the two guys who actually stole it were both dead within a year.
1: Yeah, it's really weird. It's just, it's just, and it is weird. It is weird to go and visit because you do see like these gorgeous like works of arts and paintings and you just see like these blank like empty canvases and you're like wait what oh okay this is one of the paintings that was stolen from Mm -hmm. or this is one of the artworks that was stolen during the famous heist back in 1990 okay Mm -hmm. so it's just like it's weird but it's a cool it's a cool museum to go to
0: yeah yeah I definitely want to go back there it's like a museum I feel like it's kind of hard to get get bored at because it's like you're basically touring a palace so it's pretty cool there's this
1: so much to look at and so Mm -hmm. many rooms to go into and also fun fact if your name is Isabella I think you get in for free I was just going to say
0: that yeah I remember that yeah (laughs) and I just remember being like oh man I know I see how it is so yeah if you live
1: in the Massachusetts Boston area and your name is Isabella go because you can get in for free and it's a really cool place to go yeah and it's in a really like nice area too haven't done an art heist yet so I know
0: I was like oh this is like totally uh type of crime I forgot about so Mm -hmm.
1: I think I knew like the second you were like Isabella Gardner (laughs) I was like I know what you're doing for once (laughs) for once.
0: (laughs) I know I was like my only hint was going to be just like when you google it especially with crime or heist it's just like photos of the missing artwork and Mm -hmm. sometimes uh, there are a few portraits of Isabella but I was like, well, if I send this to you, I feel like Yeah,
1: I'll figure it out. Well, <laughs> it's better, it's better than my hint, which was just literally tsunami. like tsunami. So I guess I can go to mine now. Um, so it's a little bit different than like what I've been doing in the past, but I found it really interesting. So I chose the uh Japan Tsunami 2011 Ghost Riders and I actually got this idea from the lovely Emma over at Real Life Ghost Stories podcast. She did this like a couple months ago and I've been like re-listening to old podcasts and this one came up and I thought it was really interesting and then I saw her post something on her Instagram and I thought like oh I haven't really like heard about this in a while and it's Kind of becoming more well known than it was. Mm. So, yeah. So Mm. basically, on March 11th, again, March seems to be a popular month for crime Mm. and disaster, which is interesting. But anyway, on March 11th, 2011, there was an earthquake that shook the northeastern part of Japan and it was triggered or it triggered a very powerful tsunami. The magnitude 9 earthquake lasted about six minutes and made it the most powerful earthquake that was ever recorded in Japan and made it the fourth most powerful earthquake that was recorded in the world. The tsunami that followed the earthquake was incredibly destructive. It destroyed countless buildings and homes and left entire towns completely obl- obliterated, um, even obliterated to this day. There in certain parts of Japan where it hit really really hard there is like nothing like you go there and it's just looks like kind of part of the ocean still but also just looks completely deserted so it's really sad because a lot of people had homes there and a lot of people had businesses there and a lot of people died in that area Mm -hmm. it hit and excuse my pronunciation because i'm pretty sure i'm gonna pronounce this wrong ishinomaki um part and Ishinomaki began to actually rebuild, and some residents, during when they started to rebuild, started to see some really eerie things. For example, you can actually learn more about this particular tsunami in unsolved, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix. Um, so I actually was able to watch that, and that was pretty interesting. I'm gonna be focusing more on part of like the hauntings that happened, But apparently the part that I'll be focusing on wasn't the first thing that happened. So I guess a lot of people around the time of the tsunami actually reported seeing, like, family members, like, that were not there. Like, this one guy went into a nursing home or equivalent to a nursing home to go visit his mother. And he goes into, like, an area and he sees her sitting in her wheelchair. And he goes and he takes a picture. And then when he looks at that picture, it's of a completely different person. Mm. It turns out his mom was unfortunately in one of the buses that was on the road when the tsunami hit. So and exactly at that time, too, I think, um, or around that time when he took the photo. So that was a little bit creepy. And then people reported seeing other people showing up to their houses and knocking on doors and begging for dry clothes because they were just completely soaking wet. So the people would give them the clothes and then they would disappear. So just like odd stuff like that would start to happen. Um, It wasn't until 2016 when a sociology student at, again, excuse my pronunciation, Tokoto Gakwin University by the name of Yuka Kudo interviewed more than 100 taxi drivers um, because taxi drivers started to report experiences of Picking up passengers that apparently were not living. So basically, they would be in the area and just driving around doing their job, and they would pick up somebody, and that person would say that they wanted to go to the specific part of town that no longer existed because of the tsunami. And they were a little bit weirded out by that and would be like, okay, um, I can definitely take you there. And then they'd be driving and then they'd get there and the passenger would have completely disappeared but the meter was running so the poor taxi drivers actually would pay for their ghostly um passengers i did see that episode Mm -hmm. it's really interesting um
0: yeah i hope they do more episodes soon yeah that's the new unsolved mysteries is good yeah me
1: too so then Ms. Kudo said that her research suggests that the drivers actually believe that they were picking up genuine passengers because they didn't run their meters and they did start them. Out of the hundred people that she tried to talk to, only seven cabbie drivers actually agreed to discuss their mysterious experiences and noted that all of the ghosts that they saw were of a very young age, uh, probably around the age of teenager to young adult, seemed to be like the guest age range um, for these passengers. And according to Kudo's research, the incident actually began just months after the disaster occurred. One of the earliest incidents that happened um, actually involved a young woman who hailed a cab near public transportation. She was wearing a very heavy winter coat, even though the weather at the time was really balmy and kind of like dry. She then asked to be taken to... And again, excuse my pronunciation, Mina Mihama. And he responded that that place doesn't really exist anymore. Then a few moments of silence passed and the passenger spoke again. And she asked the cabby driver, "She the exact phrase that she used was, have I died? And when the cabby driver turned around to look at the passenger, she was no longer there. So also kind of creepy. There was also another incident involving a young man who asked the taxi driver to go to a specific mountain, but once they arrived, he had already vanished. And then one other occasion occasion was a passenger was asked to be taken to a resident, or a passenger asked to be taken to a residential address, but when the driver arrived, he arrived, he discovered that the house had actually been flattened in the disaster, and he asked the passenger, he said, are you sure this is the right place? And the passenger was no longer there. Um, And then according to the mirror, Kudo felt that the taxi driver stories were reliable because each driver had started their meter and each driver had paid for the meter because obviously their passenger could not. So I just thought that was really interesting and I know that the Netflix special, which For anyone wanting to know um, is Unsolved Mysteries, The Tsunami Spirits. It's in season two. And they talked a lot about like how in Japan, how like death is viewed, how ghosts are viewed, how it's kind of different than it is over here. It's not really as like scary or frightening. And one of the women who I guess was featured on the show, who I guess could be described as like a medium, said that like if you encounter a ghost like that, you just need to tell them that they died so that they're able to move on and go to the next place because they don't know. Mm -hmm. Because so many people died and so many people are still missing. um, So they don't know. And it happens so quickly. And sometimes I guess when things like that happen, like Mm -hmm. the spirits kind of get confused and they just don't know what's going on. So they need to be told like, no, you shouldn't be here. You passed. You should move on, Mm. which is really kind of hard. And that gives me the chills a little bit. Yeah. Because I think that's one of the last things I would ever say if I encountered, like, a ghost, especially in Japan. But um, I just thought it was really kind of a different topic and interesting and sad. Just because I vaguely remember hearing about the tsunami and the earthquake. Um, I know it was really bad. And I remember it because I think we were in college, like, our sophomore year in college, maybe. Maybe freshman year. Um, So just kind of looking into it more and realizing that it is like a big topic and that there were articles written about it and that people actually have like proof kind of that this did in fact happen and that the cabbie drivers weren't just like oh no
0: yeah
1: like it didn't happen the seven of them were like no i've had things happen like this is what's happened to me so it also kind of gives them that peace of mind too because it's like it's not just me it's happened to other cab drivers as well
0: yeah and i feel like unsolved mysteries would pick Uh, like a story Mm -hmm. that has more evidence they wouldn't just like choose one at random if they didn't have enough to back it up with yeah and then especially when it's
1: featured in like the Mm -hmm. mirror and stuff it's like okay this is a little bit more legit than just like a one-off like book or like yahoo (laughs) yeah so that was my topic for this week
0: yeah yeah that's
1: a good one Yeah, it was interesting. It was creepy, but, like, it was really interesting, too. Mm.
0: Yeah, I hope there's a new season soon. Yeah, It's really
1: good. Like, Unsolved Mysteries is a really
0: good Mm -hmm. show. That's, like, the OG (laughs) crime show. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember we had to... I know. Well... Yeah, unsolved mysteries is classic. But also in uh, high school, we had to in forensics class, we would watch like forensic yes. files,
1: which I always end up watching when I'm like on a plane, and they just like have it. Like if it's JetBlue or something, they'll just like mm-hmm. have it on, and I'm like, okay, sure, I'll watch some. I'll watch <laughs> some forensic files while I'm flying.
0: Just like just. the the graphics around that time, it's like so funny. It's so funny. Uh. And they're so,
1: like, serious, and you're like, I should be taking this seriously, but I just can't.
0: Like, if there are any reenactments, that's great.
1: Yeah, it's funny.
0: It's good. Yeah.
1: All right, everyone, thank you again for joining us on another fun episode of Oi with the Terror already. You can uh, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Playlist, and any other... Place where uh, podcasts are available. We also do have our Instagram, which is at Oy with the Terror Already. And you can email us at Oy with the Terror Already at gmail.com. Plus, we actually do have a new Facebook page. It's called oi okay. with the Terror Already Podcast. So please feel free to check it out. We will be posting more stuff soon. And we do drop our episode every Thursday. So thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next week. Bye.